Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. I'm Heather Vale, and this is the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show. Today, I'm speaking with Thomas Teig, President and CEO of Direct Relief. Thomas has been in his position since 2000, and before that was the Chief of Staff and Chief Operating Officer of the Peace Corps. He's been named on the Nonprofit Times Power and Influence Top 50 list for the past two years running. Now, Tuesday is Giving Tuesday, and while charitable donations increased in 2020 and 2021, this year most people are being more cautious because of concerns about inflation. Thomas, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me, Heather. Appreciate it. So what exactly is Direct Relief? Well, it's a nonprofit public charity that's been around since 1948, and we focus on humanitarian health assistance, uh, working in all 50 U.S. states and territories, as well as about 100 countries around the world each year, with a focus of making sure that people who need but can't afford prescription medications or other items have access to them. So we work a lot with uh, manufacturers, the healthcare manufacturers on the one side, and with nonprofit community health centers and free and charitable clinics around the U.S. and try to make sure that we line up support for people who simply need but cannot afford um, materials to keep them healthy. Okay. Now, for listeners who aren't familiar with Giving Tuesday, can you give us a brief nutshell of what that is? Well, I think Giving Tuesday has probably been around for about 20 years, and it was trying to get in on the actions, such as it was about Black Friday and you know, all the days that were kind of motivated towards uh, consumer spending and shopping around the holidays. So I think uh, someone had the great idea to say, hey, let's make one of those days about charitable giving because it really tends to be this time of year when charitable donations uh, are disproportionately made. And so it's nice to have some focused attention to that cause. I think, of course, a lot of organizations do big things to try to grab attention. But I think in general, it's a nice reminder that people receive that if you're in a position, it's a good time to do it before the clock runs on the year. Yeah. Okay. Now, how is inflation impacting donations and consequently impacting nonprofits this year? Well, it's not really clear yet, but I think, you know, you can stipulate that it affects everyone negatively, both nonprofits and consumers and and everyone else. Um, I think the money is worth less in an inflationary period. And, you know, nonprofits like Direct Relief or food banks, they're what economists call counter-cyclical. They're supposed to do more when the circumstances get worse. So it does present a bit of dilemma when you have more people struggling, money doesn't go as far, and the expectation is to step up for nonprofits to step up. So as we look forward to the end of this year, when so such a large percentage of charitable giving is made or not, you know, it's a lot of cross fingers and, and hope that people will be in a position to help out. But it's still a little early to tell. We'll see how it, it shakes out over the next several weeks. But it's However it shakes out, it's a great kind of American tradition, this charitable giving. And it's nice to have that reminder that's now just worked its way into broad society about giving, Giving Tuesday. 
Yeah. And I guess another reason why it happens at the end of the year is people are looking forward to their tax season coming up and, you know, they're maximizing the charitable donations that they can write off for next year. Right. Exactly. And just it, people, after they get through the holidays, are they in a position to make a, uh, a charitable gift or not? I mean, I think that's a big question. I think if folks who are really getting stretched by inflation and the price of everything going up, you know, it's, we're not expecting, we're always hopeful, but you, you can't expect it. I think you recognize, given what we do, that a lot of people don't have a, a lot of means to fall back on and, and there's less now in inflation. So, but certainly the end of the year, uh, how people, you know, take a look at their finances, if they're in a position to make a donation, whether it's tax incentivized or not, it tends to be a huge percentage of the giving that occurs, occurs right around this time of year. Yeah. So the good news is there's a lot of wonderful nonprofits out there doing good work. Now, of course, the flip side to that is sometimes it's hard to choose which nonprofits do you support with your charitable donations. So how do you recommend people decide which charity to give to? I think at the first cut, it's like no one can tell anyone else what they should care about. I mean, giving is a very personal act. It's a wonderful act of generosity and deeply personal. And that's up to an individual. And there's multiple good, good causes that make a lot of difference in people's lives or benefit the world. But once you decide what it is you care about, I think it is smart to make sure you find an organization that's going to make you proud if you give them money. And so to do that, there are groups like Charity Navigator or Charity Watch or the Better Business Bureau who try to advise consumers and compare and contrast different organizations, uh, nonprofit organizations, with regard to how they spend their money, how much is spent on fundraising or management versus their programmatic activity. What measures do they use to do that? The, their length of service and their basic governance, those kind of good housekeeping type issues. And I think that's important too. It's a check on someone playing uh, your emotions. If you're really struck by a cause, there's probably many groups that are doing something for that cause. So it's worth spending a little time and educating yourself about how these organizations are likely to spend your money based on their published public records. And I think that's just good consumer awareness for anyone, in part because it's an emotional time and it's an emotional act. You do want to check that with some rational, objective thought, and that's what those rating and ranking websites do for consumers. Okay. So basically, even once you narrow it down to a specific type of charity, so for instance, someone might be interested in supporting animal welfare, or someone might be interested in supporting healthcare, or someone might be interested in supporting, you know, all these various different types, but then do the research to figure out where the money is going with each individual organization. And in that way, we can maximize the impact of a donation. Yeah, I think that's the idea, which is going to put more, more of your money towards the cause rather than towards to, you know, the next fundraising pitch. And for some people, that's important. And, you know, the other thing, Heather, is that there are different uh, channels of giving. The PayPal giving fund is one, and that is if you put $10, if you contribute $10 through the PayPal giving fund, $10 shows up in the nonprofit uh, organization's account because the PayPal giving fund absorbs all those transactional costs, mm -hmm. whereas sometimes a technique like a text to give, which Direct Relief has looked at, it's just a high frictional cost. So a $10 gift might end up getting 
$6 to the nonprofit with $4 being consumed through various transaction fees or processing fees through that method. So that's, that's worth doing a little diligence on as well. What is going to end up with how much the, the greatest percentage of your money going to the cause itself through the channel that you choose. But it's really nice when a big organization like PayPal Giving Fund absorbs all those frictional costs. So 100% of the donation gets right to the organization that you select, which is nice. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Okay, so where can listeners go to learn more about Direct Relief and what you guys are doing to help out the community? Well, directrelief.org has all 75 years of our history, so maybe more than any any person recently <laughs> would want to absorb, but it does have all the information about uh, the organization's history, obviously our finances and what we literally do with the money, the uh, places we work. It's been a big year working in Ukraine, typically big as it always is in response to the high-profile emergencies. But also just ongoing work, the chronic gaps that exist in, uh, in U.S. society and around the world, many of those have been made uh, worse by COVID, which brought on its own huge set of problems to the world, but also made all the pre-existing problems worse. And so as a health-focused organization, we're keenly sensitive to that, still working very hard, still on COVID, actually, um, as well as all the things that COVID has worsened and the new events like Ukraine that have popped up since. So uh, it's a busy year and uh, we're at it, but directrelief.org has all that and more. Um, but the other ones are charitynavigator.org, charitywatch.org, and uh, I think the Better Business Bureau's Wise Giving Alliance, I think it's give.org, can give you a sense of, from a consumer standpoint, which organizations uh, are doing what and how well they're doing it through those various measures. Okay. And on your website, presumably there's also an opportunity to donate or maybe even volunteer. Yep. It's got it all there. Probably the f one of the first pages you'll see, we try to not be creepy about it, but we do want <laughs> to give people the opportunity if they're interested and want to support that's easy to do and it's secure online uh, transactions, which is wonderful. Okay, perfect. So once again, directrelief.org is the website to go to for Direct Relief, directrelief.org. You can learn about their 75 years of history, doing good around the world. You can donate, you can volunteer, you can find out more about the organization. And the other tools that Thomas mentioned are charitynavigator.org, charitywatch.org, and give.org if you want to do some research on various charities that touch your heart that you might want to give to this holiday season. And Thomas, I want to thank you so much for being here and talking to us about this and giving us your tips and insight on the industry. So it's very much appreciated and happy Giving Tuesday. <laughs> right back at you, Heather. Thank you very much for having me. Appreciate it. I'm a wife and the mother of two kids, and I've got a good job. Bye, Mom. See you, Mom. A pretty important job. Because of my family and my job, I really care about this neighborhood. It's a good neighborhood. Yes. There's some crime. And when I drive to work, like now, I realize that some people here don't trust the police. So the police should be reaching out to this community. And this community should reach out to the police. That's the way to make this a safer place. And when I get to work in the precinct house and put on my uniform, I can tell you as a police officer that this department is reaching out to the community. And the community is doing its part. We're building partnerships. This should be happening everywhere. This is how we can all be safer. Get involved. 
start the conversation. Start the conversation and help stop crime. To learn the five things you can do, go to ncpc.org slash preventviolentcrime. A message from the National Crime Prevention Council and the Bureau of Justice Assistance. The future depends on teachers. Every day, teachers are shaping our tomorrows, starting their students on journeys that will change the course of history. Right now, in a classroom somewhere in the United States, there's a teacher inspiring a future scientist who will make preventing pandemics their life's work, sharpening the mind of an aspiring environmentalist who will help combat climate change, and generating possibilities for a student who will be the first in their family to graduate college. It all starts with teachers who meet challenges with creativity, who reinvent education for the future, who work towards a school system that lifts up every child, regardless of race, income, or zip code, and who enable the full potential of our students, our communities, and our country. Explore a career that leaves a legacy you can be proud of. Shape the future. Teach. Learn more and receive free support at teach.org. You're listening to the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show. I'm Heather Vale, and joining me today is Luis Fonzi, Grammy and Billboard award-winning singer-songwriter, and Ronaldo, a childhood cancer survivor. Luis is a Puerto Rican singer-songwriter who has had several number one songs over the past 20 years, including his global hit Despacito, which earned seven Guinness World Records and is still one of the most viewed videos in YouTube's history. As one of the leading Latin music artists of his generation, Luis uses his voice for good and has received recognition for his philanthropic and humanitarian work. When Ronaldo was diagnosed with a soft tissue cancer, his doctor referred him to St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. He likes dancing and theater, and in 2020 made a TikTok video dancing to the song Amarillo by J Balvin, which earned him a shout-out from the artist. Luis and Ronaldo, thank you both for being here today. Happy to be here. Thank you for having us. Thank you. So what is the St. Jude Thanks and Giving campaign? St. Jude Thanks and Giving campaign is a campaign that we celebrate every year during this holiday time to remind people to join the San Jude mission to save lives, you know, to say thanks and to give just like, just like the name. Uh, San Jude is a magical place. It's a children's hospital and research center and it's saving lives. And, and I, I love to always, you know, kind of share their mission and what they're all about and, and to tell people and to invite people to become a part of this mission through their donations to let them know how to do that, which they can visit the website, which is sanju.org, or to call the 1-800 number, which is one 800 4 Jude. And that's why we're here. I'm joined today by, by my friend Reynaldo, who's a cancer survivor, and he has a, a beautiful, inspiring story about how San Jude saved his life and changed his life. And, you know, we, I, I think it's important for people to know, you know, really what goes on in this really special place. Yeah, Ronaldo, could you tell us your story with cancer and the difference that St. Jude made in your life? It all started on May 2018. That's when I was first diagnosed with something called embryonal rhabdomyosarcoma. So it was a cancer, a tumor located at my prostate. And then that's when I went to St. Jude for the first time, you know. And just like Louis said, you know, it's such a magical place because when I got there, it changed my perspective my perspective of life, because being able to have treatment, food, and so many other things uh, at no cost and for free, it helped me go through everything I was going through, you know, because knowing that 
me or my family they didn't have to worry about anything else but just to be with me uh is such a magical thing you know yeah that's awesome louise what is it that made you want to get involved with saint jude in the first place you know from when I, when i first started singing 24 years ago i knew right away that you know music is is a is a powerful tool and music you know brings people together so i, I was invited to to perform at a few fundraising events for san jude and obviously i was very proud to do that and that was very important for me to do that but it wasn't until i i got to actually physically visit the hospital around 2006 that i really got to know what san jude was all about and that's when it just really hit me and 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 i said to myself i i need to be a messenger i need to magnify this or, or help as much as i can through whether it's through my music through my platforms to to really encourage people to help because for example san jude families they don't they never receive a bill from san jude they don't have to worry about medicine treatments you know travel their stay they don't have to worry about anything all they have to worry about is just being there for for their child and and to me that's so powerful you know many years later now i'm blessed enough to have my own family to have two little kids and i just it's it's inevitable to to see it from the parent point of view and and to have that sort of you know to just have to worry about you know being there for your for your child is is so important and that's thanks to all these donations there and, and that's why we do a, a campaign like thanks and giving that's why it's so important that's why i thought it was very important for me to be involved okay so how can listeners help out either with the thanks and giving campaign this holiday season or beyond that yeah so they can do that visiting the website which is stjude.org stjude.org or calling the 1-800 number which is 1-800 for St. Jude. So it's 1-800, the number four, St. Jude. Okay, awesome. So once again, stjude.org is the website, stjude.org, nice and simple. And the phone number, also nice and simple, 1-800 for St. Jude. And Luis and Ronaldo, I want to thank you both for being here. Ronaldo, for sharing your story and how St. Jude made a difference in your life. And Luis, for all your support. And thank you both for being here as we head into Giving Tuesday. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thank you for having us. One in four Americans today are living with a disability. I'm one of them. I care deeply about creating a world we can all fully participate in, free from stigma, misperceptions, and barriers. And we've got a trusted ally on our side, an organization we can rely on, Easter Seals. Rooted in communities nationwide, Easter Seals helps empower millions of people, regardless of age or disability through its life-changing services and powerful advocacy. Today and every day, Easter Seals is leading the way to full equity, inclusion, and access to healthcare, employment, and education for people with disabilities, families, and communities. That's my Easter Seals. Make it yours. Learn more and get involved at EasterSeals.com. You're listening to the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show. I'm Heather Vale, and joining me today is Linda Bridges, VP of Marketing and Communications for Miracle Flights, and Megan Biaz, mother of three-year-old Watson, who has used their services for out-of-state treatment. 
Miracle Flights is a nonprofit organization that provides free air transportation to children and adults who need help reaching specialty medical care far from home. Since 1985, they have provided more than 150,000 flights and typically book more than 600 flights a month on airlines across the United States. They've lit up downtown Summerlin for the holiday season with their Lights for Flights display of positive words powered by Soul Up. Linda and Megan, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having us and happy holidays. And you as well. So, Linda, why was Miracle Flights first founded back in the 80s? You know, Miracle Flights was first founded because we saw a need that was not yet met across the country. So we saw a need for both children and adults who were suffering from medical issues that maybe their specialists were not in their hometown and they had to fly to, you know, another city, another state across the country. And as anyone can tell you, that is a lot of, you know, that can be a financial burden. Mm -hmm. And what Miracle Flights wanted to do was relieve that piece of stress and burden from a family already stressed by a medical issue. What sorts of medical needs do you typically book flights for? You know what? We see a very wide range. We have patients that have epilepsy. We have families that travel to Florida for club foot. We have families who travel across the country to visit specialists for heart issues. Really, it sort of runs the gamut. And, you know, it really doesn't matter what type of medical issue that person is suffering from. We want to help them get to that specialized care. And what are the criteria for requesting flights? Really, you just go to our website. There is a short form that you have to fill out. So we look at, you know, how how soon do you need to fly? We usually typically book at least seven days out. That gives us some time to book that flight and get you there quickly. We look at, you know, financial need, of course, but there's not a big form to fill out. We want to make the process of getting a miracle flight as easy as possible. That's fantastic. Megan, can you tell us your story and Watson's story? Absolutely. So Watson has actually been with Miracle Flights for three years now. He started his journey with them when he was about three months old. He does travel for his bilateral club foot treatment. Um, We actually started flying to St. Louis when his doctor was located there. He transferred over to Florida and now that is our main destination. But it's been a three year long journey with Miracle Flights. So there's no treatment for clubfoot here locally? So Watson's story is a little unique, but also unfortunately pretty common in the clubfoot community. So there are doctors here in Nevada that can treat it. The tricky part and what actually happened with Watson in particular is although providers are trained in the treatment process, they don't always execute it 100% correctly. And when that is the case, complex club foot is usually caused at that step in the process, which is actually what happened to Watson. So once complex club foot was developed due to the improper treatment that he received here, we as a family had to make that decision to get Watson to the doctor that he's seeing to get everything correctly treated and not continue to run into issues in his treatment process. Okay. What has the experience been like working with Miracle Flights? Honestly, 
amazing. I, I, I use that word a lot when I talk about Miracle Flights. And really, they are so many other things that I, I don't think that I could really put into words. They have been tremendous. I, I mean, just overbearing with love. We, we truly feel like we're a part of their family. And, and what they do and when they stepped in for us was in such a time of need. But we were also in a place of, I mean, overwhelming and, and just being worried to an unbelievable degree. So when they stepped in and, and we knew about them and their services and what they do, we, we definitely saw light at the end of the tunnel and continue to do so. So Miracle Flights has been amazing all the way around. Okay, awesome. And you and Watson were at the Lights for Flights lighting as well? We were, yes. Linda, how did the Lights for Flights in downtown Summerlin come about? Oh, that's a great question. So you know, Megan mentioned being part of the Miracle Flights family. Well, we have uh, a member of our team, Kathy, who became a member of our family when her son Isaac needed a Miracle Flight. And she has a very touching story and testimonial. And she, um, along with the rest of the team, wants to raise awareness about Miracle Flights. And so she saw these signs and said, let's put up big, huge, illuminated signs with each word meaning something very special, not only to Miracle Flights, but to the holiday season. So the six signs that are illuminated in downtown Summerlin, they say things like soar and miracle and love and joy. And they really embody what Miracle Flights does and, you know, what the holiday spirit means. And they're really just a great testimony to what we do. Okay. What other projects and events, fundraisers, et cetera, do you have throughout the year? Well, right now, of course, we have Lights for Flights, uh, powered by Solup, that goes on through December 31st. In March, we will hold our signature event, and that is called the Miracle Flights Suitcase Party. Date and time to, to be announced, but that will be a great fundraiser for our organization. And then we have other fundraisers throughout the year that you can find us uh, on social media and on our website, but we always have something going on. Okay. So where can listeners find out more about Miracle Flights, either to request services or maybe to get involved with donations or volunteering and that kind of thing? Absolutely. We are always looking for volunteers. We are currently accepting donations through Lights for Flights. And you can go to miracleflights.org. You can also go to our request a flight button. It's very easy. We have a great team um, on board. So head to miracleflights.org. Okay, awesome. So once again, the website is miracleflights.org, miracleflights.org. You can find out more about the organization there. You can also request services if you have a medical need out of state and you need to fly there. Just request a flight at miracleflights.org. And if you want to donate, you can do that now throughout the holiday season. Do that through Lights for Flights. And of course, volunteer opportunities as well are also on the website miracleflights.org. And Linda and Megan, I want to thank you both for being here. Megan, for sharing your story and letting us know how Miracle Flights has impacted your life in a positive way and Watson's life in a positive way. And Linda, for letting us know more about the organization and what you guys are doing, what you've been doing for almost 40 years. So thank you both for being here. I appreciate it. Thank you, Heather. Yes, thank you so much. Learning your child has cancer causes an emotional and financial crisis. Often, the best place for treatment is far from home. 
But with the help of the National Children's Cancer Society, children battling cancer can get to life-saving treatment, whether it's across town or across the country. To learn how we give families hope and give their children the best shot at survival, visit thenccs.org. That's T-H-E-N-C-C-S dot org. Because no family should go through childhood cancer alone. Cancer can feel like something we can't do anything about. But you can. There are screening tests that can catch cancer early when it may be easier to treat. Begin cervical screening at age 25. At 45, start colorectal and breast screening. At 50, discuss lung screening with a doctor. Find resources for free and low-cost screening at cancer.org slash get screened. This is a public service message from the American Cancer Society. You're listening to the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show. I'm Heather Vale, and joining me today is Melissa Cipriano, Executive Director of the Children's Heart Foundation. Melissa has more than 20 years' experience in nonprofit leadership and community relations, and she's passionate about helping people in need, especially children. She joined the Children's Heart Foundation in 2019 after serving as the Executive Director for the Candlelighters Childhood Cancer Foundation for 12 years. Melissa, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. So for listeners who aren't familiar, what exactly does the Children's Heart Foundation do? The Children's Heart Foundation helps families who have children diagnosed with congenital heart defects or heart conditions. So we help those families during medical crisis through financial assistance. We also help with emotional support as well as quality of life programming which helps these families raise their child who has a CHD. We have a really robust camp program called Camp Mend a Heart. So that's one of our premier programs. But we help these families throughout their child's needs while they're experiencing medical crisis with their heart child. What is the Adopt-A-Family initiative? During the holidays, you know, having a child that has had undergone recent surgery or hospitalization or any type of procedures it affects your your family's income no matter what time of year. So we help the families who have gone through that in the calendar year uh, with matching their holiday needs up with one of our donors, and it's called the uh, Holiday Adopt-A-Family Program. And so we're in the midst of that right now. Our donors are, you know, going to our platform and they've, you know, signed up prior to become a, a donor and adopt a family for the holidays. And We've had our selected families complete their wish lists, and the matching process is actually happening right now. And we will be helping approximately 75 families this holiday season. What types of items are on the wish list? Oh, goodness. Everything from there's needs and there's wishes. So the needs are, you know, the basic things like pajamas and pants and shirts and shoes. There's a lot of that because, you know, with the economy right now, those are, you know, they're needed items, but they're also very costly for a lot of families and especially when they're, you know, facing medical bills, etc., and then the, as far as the wish list goes, it just depends on the age of the child. And, you know, we see a lot of wireless earbuds for the teenagers versus, you know, the latest and greatest toys like Legos and Hot Wheels and Barbies and dolls and things like that for all the wishes. So it kind of runs the gamut, but we really stress to our families not to ask for extravagant items on their wish lists. Mm -hmm. And we screen those families' lists to make sure that everything is appropriate in terms of the cost. And then we present that to our donors and they're able to select which families they would like to adopt for the holiday. 
And so when a donor adopts a family, are they the sole donors to that family or are there multiple donors contributing to each family? It's usually the sole donor. So for example, we've got civic groups, companies and corporations that pull their money together and they will adopt one family. So me personally, it's been tradition in my family and my extended family. We adopt a family every year. So I collect all the money and we choose one of the families and then we do the shopping and together and we make somebody's holiday wishes come true. Nice. Okay. So what are the organization's overall goals with the campaign? Obviously, to help out the Hart families. But beyond that, what are you hoping to accomplish with the campaign? Our overall goal is to make sure that we provide holiday for all of the families that are in need. And we're seeing about 75 families right now. And that's our ultimate goal is to make sure 100% of them are adopted You know, through our donors, through the donors that want to participate in the Holiday Adopt-A-Family We're looking really good that all of our families will be taken care of, but there, you know, we also have those last minute families that an emergency may arise, something may happen and a family reaches out to us. And in addition to the holiday adoptive family, those same families that request it, we ask on their application if they need help for Thanksgiving. And if they march yes for that particular question, we will also provide Thanksgiving for that family. So uh, this year we were able to fulfill all of those needs So we're really excited to um, be able to fulfill our goal with this program. Nice. Okay. What other year-end initiatives do you have going on? I mean, we've got Giving Tuesday coming up in a couple of days. Absolutely. Giving Tuesday is coming up and uh, we are, you know, reaching out to our community. You know, it's the time of year to give thanks, to help others and to give a hand up to others in need. And you know, everything that we do at the foundation is based on the donated dollar through our, you know, corporate sponsorships, our community, our individual giving, our fundraising events. And something like Giving Tuesday gives us an opportunity to reach out to the community to really stress how important it is to support children with heart conditions so we can fulfill our programming and reach our goals and help these families on a continuous basis. Okay. Now, it sounds like you've obviously got a lot of initiatives going on for the end of the year for the holiday season, but what other types of fundraising initiatives do you have going on throughout the rest of the year? We have some signature events that are pretty exciting. Our next major signature event is our Walk with the Heart of a Child. It's our 20th anniversary for the walk. So that's why it's so exciting for us this year. And it will be April 22nd. Registration will be opening come January. And we encourage our community to form teams to help us fundraise. We've got different incentives. And it's just an afternoon for our community to gather to wrap our arms around all of our heart families and show them how much their community supports their children as they're going through their journey with their heart child. Yeah. So how can people find out more about the Children's Heart Foundation and the various initiatives and events you have going on or even adopt a family for the holidays? All of our initiatives that we have are on our website and our website is really easy. It's chfn.org. All the information is listed there under events for our fundraising events. And we encourage everybody to also like us on our social media 
on Instagram and on Facebook. On Facebook, we're Children's Heart Foundation NV. And on Instagram, you can find us at Heart Kids Nevada. Nevada spelled out. Okay, awesome. So once again, chfn.org is the website, chfn.org. And if you want to visit them on Facebook, it's Children's Heart Foundation NV for Nevada, Children's Heart Foundation NV. And on Instagram, it's Heart Kids Nevada, spelt out, Heart Kids Nevada. And if you can't remember all of that, once again, the website's super simple, chfn.org for Children's Heart Foundation Nevada, chfn.org. And Melissa, I want to thank you so much for being here, letting us know what you have going on for the holidays. And hopefully some of the listeners will feel inspired to adopt a family the same as you and your family adopt families every holiday season. So I appreciate you letting us know about it and letting us know what else you have going on and the good that you're doing in the community. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for chatting with me today. Before I was adopted, I felt like nobody wanted me. I felt like my life was already over. At a certain age, they don't want you. You're troubled and stuff. Even if I wanted to be adopted, who would adopt a 17-year-old? Inside, I knew, like, I'm not a troubled kid. I know what I'm in for, why I'm here. My biggest fear was that I would age out and not know how to be sufficient on my own. I had nightmares every single day at my birth mom's house. It was just really scary for me living there. I was scared, I was lost, and I felt hopeless. I felt like, don't I deserve to feel happy and loved? I just wish I'd gotten adopted sooner. Unfortunately, the number of children waiting to be adopted from foster care is on the rise. The Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption is the only public nonprofit charity in the U.S. focused exclusively on foster care adoption. You can help. Go to DaveThomasFoundation.org to learn more. I'm Heather Vale, and you're listening to the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show. Today, I'm speaking with Leslie Saracen, president and CEO of FMI, the Food Industry Association. We're all feeling inflation at the grocery store, and FMI has been investigating how shoppers are adjusting their plans for the holiday season. Leslie, thank you for being here today. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So what exactly is FMI? FMI is the National Trade Association that represents the food industry. Specifically, we represent the grocery industry. So grocers are our members, as well as many of the companies that provide the goods that are sold in our stores, as well as the services that are needed to to make the grocery industry function. Okay. So in your findings, how do you think shoppers are planning to adjust their holiday plans in the face of both rising household expenses and inflation, especially when we're talking about grocery items? Well, I think first of all, we should I should point out that what we're hearing from our customers how is, is how excited they are to be able to celebrate the holidays this year and incorporate some of their family traditions that they're accustomed to, but perhaps for the last couple of years because of the pandemic, maybe haven't been able to use. That said, shoppers are concerned about the price of holiday meals and are doing what they can to take control of their grocery shopping budgets and adjusting some of their holiday meal shopping to address some of the food price increases that they've seen. Uh, We see them looking for deals and sales on products, uh, buying more store brands than perhaps they have historically. 
substituting ingredients for more affordable options, and even doing something that I personally think is a fabulous idea, and that is sharing some of the responsibilities for the family meal menus, uh, such as encouraging potluck so that one person isn't responsible for cooking the entire meal. Oh, nice. That's a good idea. So on the one hand, we've got excitement that pandemic's over, we can actually get together and celebrate. And on the other hand, we've got, uh-oh, but it's expensive, but people are finding a way around it. They absolutely are. You know, about 62% of shoppers tell us they're spending more at the grocery store compared to what they were spending about a year ago. And despite the the fears that are associated with inflation, Average weekly household grocery spending is at about $148, and that's down, actually, from the 161 average weekly spend that we were doing at the height of the pandemic. Now, it is higher than than the spend uh, in 2019, pre-pandemic, but not as high as what we were spending at the height of the pandemic. So what we know is our, our customers are saying that they're eating out less frequently, they're enjoying more home-cooked meals, and they're doing what they can to monitor their expenditures and try to keep things within their means. Okay. And how are grocery stores responding to this different attitude, different shopping habits, and helping shoppers to address their holiday needs? Well, we in the grocery industry absolutely understand that money's tight for many families this year. And so our grocery stores are doing what they can to ensure people can continue to enjoy their traditional holiday meals. And our stores and the personnel in our stores are working closely with customers to help them do things that will result in spending less money. They are making sure that they're going to have plenty of options at various price points within the store so that depending on how people are situated economically, they'll have choices as they do their shopping this year. Okay. So you mentioned that shoppers are choosing, for example, grocery store brands rather than national brands in order to save money. What other tips do you have for shoppers to stretch their holiday budgets at the grocery store? Well, I think first and foremost, we all need to plan ahead, perhaps plan earlier than we normally would so that we have lists and we understand what it is we we need to pull off the meals that we're planning and not end up with a lot of products that perhaps we won't actually use um, and that will actually get end up getting wasted. It helps us better adhere to the budgets that we establish for ourselves. And it also gives us the opportunity to buy things in bulk. So if we know over the next couple of months, we're going to need certain things to meet our needs, perhaps we can find them on sale and, and buy them in multiples rather than one-offs uh, over time. I think if we haven't done so already, we need to all join our grocery loyalty programs um, and we need to download their apps because that's where we can gain access to sales that might not otherwise be advertised, uh, special deals, coupons, other opportunities to save money that we might not know about if we aren't part of those programs and have those apps on our phones. And I think going into shopping, being able to use the app to understand what prices are before we actually do our, our shopping helps us with our budgeting as well. And then there's also opportunities that I think many of us may not be aware of to work with store personnel. And particularly I'm talking here about registered dietitians. 
you know, a lot of us have health issues within our families. And so being able to work with the registered dietitians that are available in many stores to accommodate those special health needs and do so in an economical way is really a great way to achieve our goals. Okay, awesome tips. And of course, don't shop when hungry, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, okay. So where can listeners go to find out more information or even to see the report? Well, they can access the report and a lot of the things I've talked about here, plus a whole lot more, if they go to fmi.org slash grocery trends. There's a lot of information there that I think that can be really helpful to your listeners. Okay, awesome. So fmi.org slash grocery trends is the website to go to fmi.org slash grocery trends. And Leslie, I want to thank you for being here and giving listeners some tips for the holidays, how to save money at the grocery store and letting us know what the trends are across the country. I appreciate your time. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. Charlie died after taking a single pill that turned out to be counterfeit. He was having back issues, and it was a counterfeit poisonous pill. Websites and social media selling fake medicines may look legitimate, but they're not. Drugs from these rogue pharmacies could have fillers like sawdust or deadly fentanyl. He died in less than 15 minutes after taking the pill. Now there's a free tool that can give you peace of mind at safe.pharmacy. Enter the pharmacy web address, and you'll know if the site you're using is safe. If you're not getting your prescriptions from a legitimate source, that next dose you take could be your last. We just don't want other people to go through what we're going through. It's just horrific. Go to safe.pharmacy. Find out about fake medicine on social media, and if the site you're buying from is safe. You're listening to the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show, and I'm your host, Heather Vale. Today, I'm speaking with Lee Henderson, executive sponsor of EY Entrepreneurs Access Network. This is National Entrepreneurship Month, and EY is looking at the proportionate lack of minority-owned businesses due to unique obstacles. Lee, thank you for being here today. Thanks for having me, Heather. So why are there fewer minority business owners than what demographic breakdowns would suggest there should be? Well, you know, Heather, I think it really comes down to access, um, really access to resources. And, you know, we've seen this disparity, you know, between black and Hispanic entrepreneurs compared to other entrepreneurs for some time now. I mean, this has been sort of a historical disparity, but that, that disparity we saw really sort of exacerbated during the pandemic. What was the reasoning for that? Well, the reasoning for that was, well, all the entrepreneurs struggled during the pandemic, mainly because, you know, they just didn't have, you know, entrepreneurs typically don't have really strong balance sheets, right? Typically 60 to 90 days of cash and so on. But when you when you look at that and you and you have a group that's already somewhat marginalized, that tends to stick out a little bit more. So that's why it was really pronounced during that time. So generally speaking, what are some of the obstacles specifically facing minority business owners? Yeah, I'll say access to capital, access to capital, access to uh, sort of mentoring, access to the right ecosystem. You know, Heather, we did a, we did a survey. So I mentioned the pandemic, we, but, you know, we did a survey in 2021 and mm -hmm. we want to check on the entrepreneurs, sort of, you know, the health of this patch specifically. So we, we surveyed black and Hispanic entrepreneurs just to see how they were doing. And the level of attention that came out that we all saw 
that came out of the pandemic and the level of focus on this, this demographic of entrepreneurs was actually really helpful. And a lot of those companies saw a significant amount of revenue growth just with that level of focus that we saw from all of us, including a lot of the big companies. So, so it was really positive in what we saw in the survey um, in 2021. Okay, so I'm trying to understand why specifically there are obstacles to, let's say, funding. Is it because of prejudice among the lenders or is there a bigger picture answer? Like, you know, before we can find the solution, yeah. we need to understand what what's causing it, right? Yeah, well, I, I would say so. So I would say two things. One is this group, for reasons I think you and I, historical reasons you and I both know, have not had the same access to resources, to mentorship, to the right ecosystem. I'll give an example. I mean, some of these companies don't have sort of the family and the network that have access to significant capital. If you think of how companies grow, a lot of them, yes, there's funding from banks and private equities and VC, but there's also funding that come from family members. And if you look at sort of the cycle of wealth that's gone through these communities, you don't have that same level of, of sort of historical wealth to support these businesses. And then the next layer of that, as you just rightfully pointed out, Heather, is some of the traditional sort of banking and investment parameters that have not really aligned themselves to, to this community of entrepreneurs. So that's been really the biggest issue that's created some of the disparity. So in what ways can communities, individuals, people who want to see change, how can we support entrepreneurs of color? Well, a couple of ways. I, I think, you know, we're doing it. You know, you mentioned I was a sponsor of the Entrepreneur Access Network program. That program is really designed around this. It's designed to connect these entrepreneurs to capital, to, to connect them to other big companies, to mentorship and so on. But if you think about just what if you're, you're for your audience that are listening, I would say if you have the seat at the table at a big company, big companies have huge spending power. And if you think about your supply chain and redirecting some of your supply chain resources to this community of entrepreneurs, that's a huge help. If you're an investor, if you're sitting at the table of private equity or venture capital is, again, look around your table, your board, your decision makers. And are those decision makers armed with the right level of knowledge to understand this community, to understand how to break up some of the cycles of the traditional investing parameters to really focus on this community? And of course, if you're a consumer like you and I are, Heather, is just about redirecting some of your wallet and your spending to these services and goods and these communities of Hispanic and black entrepreneurs. Okay, so if people and communities across the nation start supporting more minority owned businesses, how will that help the country as a whole? Well, one is I'll just start with entrepreneurs, right? Entrepreneurs are just the bedrock of our economy. Um, if you think about the millions of people that they employ, if you think about the tens of billions of dollars that they actually generate for the economy, if you think about the ideas that they generate, particularly in the environment we're living in right now, which is pretty unstable, these are the forward thinkers and the innovators. So just making sure that we support entrepreneurs as a whole is really, really important to the economy. But as you get to this group of Hispanic and black entrepreneurs, that starts to get to the point where you're really focused on investing in these communities and making an impact in their specific communities. Okay. So if listeners are either entrepreneurs themselves who happen to be minority, black, Hispanic, other minorities, and they want to find out more about the program you mentioned, or for the listeners also who are interested in supporting minority-owned businesses, where can they go for more information? 
You can find us, ey.com, as in Ernst & Young, ey.com slash E-A-N, or you just type in EY Entrepreneur Access Network, and you'll be able to find us, and we're looking forward to meeting those entrepreneurs. So ey.com slash E-A-N is going to take you to the Entrepreneurs Access Network, ey.com slash E-A-N. Yes. And Lee, I want to thank you so much for being here and letting us know about the situation, how people can help out, what the issue is, and hopefully we can turn it around, especially during National Entrepreneurship Month. This is the perfect time to be having this conversation. This is a great time to be having it. I agree, Heather. And thank you so much for your time, Lee. Thank you, Heather. Not completing high school is more of a social thing than it was an academic thing. I came out in the 11th grade. Nobody was embracing you kids were cruel. It was very difficult to be gay. Even though all these years have passed, I still had that longing to have my diploma. The hard part was determining that I was going to do it, but I definitely didn't do it alone. At age 30, with the help of her mentor, Carissa finished her high school diploma. I have a mentor, Maria. She convinced me to continue my education and to finish what I started to get my diploma. Just never judges. She's a true role model. If you're even considering getting your high school diploma, go get it. You can do it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. I'm Heather Vale with the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show, and this is your community events calendar for nonprofit initiatives and charity events around the Valley. Giving Tuesday is happening this Tuesday, November 29th. It was created in 2012 as a day that encourages people to do good, and it's grown into a global movement that inspires hundreds of millions of people to give, collaborate, and celebrate generosity. Giving Tuesday is your chance to give back to organizations doing work you want to support. Donate to your favorite charity on your own or find out more about the initiative at givingtuesday.org. That's givingtuesday.org. Monday's Dark with Mark Chinook is a bi-monthly musical fundraising party. Upcoming shows include Monday, December 12th at 8 p.m. at The Palms to celebrate Monday's Dark's ninth anniversary. Get tickets or find out more details at mondaysdark.com. That's mondaysdark.com. Opportunity Village is holding their annual Magical Forest events from this weekend through December 31st at the Magical Forest on the Opportunity Village campus, 6300 West Oakey. Get your tickets and find out all the event times and dates at opportunityvillage.org. That's opportunityvillage.org. They also have the Great Santa Run fundraiser coming up next Saturday, December 3rd at 8 a.m. at the Fremont Street Experience with a virtual option from December 4th to 24th. Sign up or find out more at opportunityvillage.org. And Make-A-Wish Southern Nevada is holding their second annual Trailblaze Challenge presented by Subaru of Las Vegas from February 3rd to 5th, 2023 with a 12-week training going on now. This is a 26.2-mile hike through the Valley of Fire backcountry in Mesquite with the goal of raising $300,000 to grant wishes for children with critical illnesses in Southern Nevada. Sign up or find out more information at wish.org slash SNV slash trailblaze. That's wish.org slash SNV slash trailblaze. 
I'm Tumani. When I was younger, I may have did some stupid things. I committed some crimes, even got shot, but I'm not a criminal. That's right, I'm Jamal. I work for Youth Advocate Programs, yeah. I was Tumani's advocate, helping him stay out of jail, stay in the neighborhood, get a job, and work hard to see a better future for himself. If you have a change of mindset, you can have a change of action. As a little kid, I experienced trauma and I acted out. Made some mistakes, but I'm not a mistake. No, she's a good student and a great kid. As Jalen's YAP advocate, I'm always here for her. With the Youth Advocate Programs, I was able to connect with Jalen. YAP is a community-based alternative to youth incarceration, congregate placement, and neighborhood violence. After completing our program, 86% of participants were arrest-free. YAP works. And now, I'm a YAP advocate, helping kids like me find a better way. Youth Advocate Programs. Others talk social change. We make it happen. Learn how at yapinc.org. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 